Welcome to Anarchists and Androids. I am your host, Logar the Barbarian, joined by my co-host, Parenthesis I. Hello. Hello, everyone. So, we're back on Station Eleven. Yeah, the second half. Uh, episodes so, five no episodes six through ten and i we should probably say what it what it is uh i guess as like an intro for this episode we talked about it before it was a it was a mini series based on a novel created by patrick somerville um and the 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 actual novel was written by uh who was it written by? emily saint john mandel yep so I I really we talked about this before. I think I wanted to finish this up before I knew what I thought. And I and and and, and the verdict is in. I absolutely freaking love Station Eleven. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So welcome to the under undersea cult. Now <laughs> is that, <laughs> that you have an initiative? <laughs> yeah. It's it's uh there's some interesting things here, and and I'm looking at the overall series itself. It starts with Hamlet. Oh no, Arthur. King Lear. Or, okay, King Lear. Yeah. yeah. And, and is it King Lear that they perform at the end or Hamlet that they perform? Oh yeah. The oh end? yeah. King Lear and uh, was it Arthur, like the the deceased king, so to speak, dies <laughs> <And he laughs> on on stage. Yeah, with a heart attack, and Jeevan tries to save him, but doesn't. And that that's significant in many ways. Yeah, there's so much significance to so many different threads, but uh, you know, spoilers, of course, anybody listening <laughs> is a uh, Jeevan. Rushes to stage in the beginning to try to save Arthur, but fails. But then uh, Arthur is best friends with a uh, Clark, and then at the end of the series, Jeevan saves Clark's life. So yes. yeah, yeah, it comes around. <laughs> so and it's interesting because you do you have the the fallen king who is who is this character they introduced at the beginning who dies at the very beginning of the show, and his he's kind of situated between a lot of the characters as a a patriarch to them. He's this wealthy uh successful actor the main character she is her is understudy the other character that we see running oh, around kirsten. yes kirsten is the understudy and she kind of is the main character of the show overall then there is this this prophet character who's running around who's his actual like his son in the yeah, show. tyler and uh and you have his his uh his friend clark and Clark is uh, Clark's kind of Clark wants to be the king. There's yeah. an interesting scene that occurs here before the the wipeout of of civilization, <laughs> where they have a discussion, and Clark's kind of working as I don't know he's he's doing this uh, weird oh alpha male. Uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? What oh, is it he's doing? Good. <laughs> you have to be top dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Be, yeah, patriarch or king, and all those words. He calls himself a CEO whisperer. He gets involved with all of these powerful fellers and, and does this whole alpha male, like, like you can do it. You can be the top dog type thing. And Arthur's very against this. <laughs> but it's interesting because I feel that some of that bleeds into the future when they start to try to establish civilization. Clark is there. He's kind of trying to maintain the authority as being king of the airport or king of the museum of civilization their little pocket of survivalists that are trying to survive the end of civilization yeah well he kind of creates like a city state of the yes. severn city airport which they show a map at one point and it's located directly south of traverse city michigan no not traverse city uh grand rapids michigan yeah 
Yeah. So it's interesting looking at his his struggle for power and his desire to hold on to it. When they're preparing the play, he starts to read through it and he he is threatened by the implications oh. of the play. So you're talking about yeah the play being a uh, Hamlet. Yes. Uh, yeah, because they uh, basically forcibly abduct the uh, traveling symphony group. And, you know, have them go through quarantine, you know, which we've all experienced now. <laughs> uh, and then uh, they have them uh, p- perform Hamlet. And so, yeah, it's like deeply, it's crazy. The, the Station Eleven, because it's kind of based on the novel, of course, the real life novel. But fictionally speaking, it's based on the comic book. But then they also have it be kind of shadowing, mirroring uh, the Hamlet play, you know, that Shakespeare wrote in the year like 1600. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's very layered. And I... I I feel that if I sit down and watch it again, I'll I'll realize and notice more. It's one of those things. I wish I had a time to watch it about three times before commenting on it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that was a school paper. That's what I'd have to do is sit there and watch it three or four times to really yeah. get it nailed down. Well, then you can read the book too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. More than likely, I probably need to start looking at it. But I, I, some of the implications here are fascinating. One thing I love in this. It is there's one element is some of the conflict. So you have Tyler, who is the prophet. And we have Kirsten, who is like the main character. And yeah. towards the beginning of the series, she tries to kill him. She tries to stab him to get rid of him. Oh, but then at one point she says that she didn't try hard enough. Just like <laughs> one lunge into his body instead of multiple. <laughs> and by the end of this, she's changed. She's no longer trying to kill him. She's try- She's making him giving him the role of Hamlet in the play because she realizes that's the only way that she can get him to communicate with his mothers by casting them in these roles in the play. Yeah. Oh, and they had a wonderful exchange for Tyler as uh, Kirsten, like, why are you helping me? And she says, well, stabbing you didn't work. <laughs> yes. And, and, and stabbing him didn't work. It didn't take care of the problem. Uh, but I want to say that it seems as if there's some sort of attempt at restorative justice or something going on here, trying to find a resolution for the conflict, trying to reach out to this this feller who has been kind of threatening throughout the series. And I appreciate that take on it. Instead of going straight to like, oh, we're gonna have a big fight and see who lives to the end of it. Yeah. We're trying to we're trying to heal these relationships instead. Yeah. It's not yeah, I, yeah, good point. I like because yeah, it's not about killing the bad guy. It's about yes. yeah, healing relationships and figuring out kind of social structures and relationships that work for everyone. Yeah, and I love that about this. That is yeah. that is that's the kind of things we need to see mirrored more in our in our films, uh, TV shows, literature. I I like that. That's what I want more of. Instead of just oh, we're jumping onto cops going to stop baddies, boom boom type thing, <laughs> or superheroes that you know fight the super villains. <laughs> that was the cops going to stop baddies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that pretty much is. So. Let's talk about this a bit. Let's, let's let's rewind this. We're supposed to be going over episode six through ten today. Oh, yep. Where you said you have quite a few notes. Are there any? I'd like to hear some things of interest you'd like to bring up to highlight in this. Oh, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> well, for one, like they reference like this. Uh, yeah, the red bandanas. It's kind of like a meth field militia, like very informal militia of, that's based on. Uh, the red bandanas is based on the bloody rags that people would cough themselves to death into. <laughs> so I love that. They, they just, it's just kind of like, it's very morbid, you know, but they recognize yes. like the disease that destroyed civilization. And this, 
they, they, we do get a run in with them, a bit of a conflict with them. And that brings up, you know, the side of, of conflict that exists within society. That is that violent warlike conflicts that exist, um, which is interesting to see. I, again, considering this goes, it kind of takes things in another direction where it's not going to be the fighting that resolves the situation. So that's still out there, an element in society that they have to contend with, but is that how they they deal with situations themselves is a question. Yeah, yeah, because like there is like, you know, the red bandanas is like emblematic of like the violent, random, you know, isolated pockets of society where people don't trust each other and they're very defensive and all that and but then there's like many different instances of people coming together and supporting each other whether it be like through a city-state structure that clark has you know with his triumvirate yes. they refer to it <laughs> you know but then um, they also have like the cult structure of basically orphaned uh a bit the undersea that tyler leads that is based on the station 11 comic book and then you have like this nomadic, like traveling band, you know, that really helps each other out. This beautiful group in a way, like called uh, the Traveling Symphony that circles <laughs> around uh, Lake Michigan. And basically they imply that going walking, you know, by foot and horse and all that around Lake Michigan takes one year. <laughs> and exactly. it's, it's kind of <laughs> like the culture. <laughs> it's kind of like the culture they're, they're, they're creating. They're creating a new culture here, a nomadic culture of their own. That's that a way is a way to survive. I want to bring up, the concept of mutual aid. I feel that's applicable to this show. And, oh, and some people yeah. may not be familiar with what Peter Kropotkin wrote about mutual aid, but you know, it, it, the book he wrote was called Mutual Aid, A Factor in Revolution. And what Peter Kropotkin was talking about and pointing out is that that mutual aid, helping one another is a huge factor in our evolution and our survival. And you kind of see some of that going on throughout this. Uh, Jeevan who initially uh, saves Kristen, she's a child, ends up finding himself attacked by a wolf and in this uh, this area that's like where all the pregnant women are going to give birth to babies. And suddenly he's a part of this community trying to make sure, you know, this new generation of children comes into the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and yeah, that, that place too, they don't even give it a name of that birthing center. It was like an old like Walmart, basically, that they turned <laughs> into a birthing center. I mean, and that's like, a good place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, uh, I'm trying to yeah, find the, the name of the, the, Terry, yeah, she runs that birthing center. And like, she basically kind of, she thinks that Jeevan is a doctor and then she finds out that he's not really. And then she's like, okay, we're just going to pretend that you are and you're going to go with this. <laughs> and he kind of finds it that, that he kind of finds his, uh, his future in being a doctor or a caretaker of sorts. We don't have the social institutions we have now to teach you that, but he yeah, kind of learns no on the job. <laughs> and and they kind of address it in a way where like, uh, where someone says, yeah, like, okay, yeah, you're not a doctor, sure, but you're a healer. So it's a whole new category then. Yeah, you know, yeah. it doesn't require medical school <laughs> and student loan debt. <laughs> and what her her story is interesting because she was actually uh, um, her license had been revoked for to practice yeah. medicine or something along those yeah, lines. I feel like so a scam. Had, yeah, <laughs> a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> she had no do her her doctorate her license to practice medicine was gone, but civilization was gone. She had the education and knowledge. Yeah, so she's the only one remaining. So it's like okay, I guess I'll be a doctor again. <laughs> yeah, so she's the one. And and she kind of pushes Jeevan into doing it. And I'm assuming he learns starting from her what he begins to learn, it seems. So it's interesting. Knowledge is still passed down from person to person, generation to generation. That doesn't stop. We're still 
teaching each other and learning from each other just in a completely different way than the large institutionalized manner that we're currently doing it. Yeah. But yeah, but that's kind of skipping around. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm skipping around a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, so one thing I'll say, like my favorite episode, right? The one that moved me to tears was uh, episode seven, Goodbye, My Damaged Home. And that mainly takes place like after like the collapse of civilization, but they're holed up in that fancy apartment in Chicago. Yes. And, like, yeah. And they create like a cozy little structure, like Jeevan and Jeevan's brother, Frank, and the young Kirsten and stuff. And Kirsten is obsessed with the Station Eleven comic book, just like Tyler is, you know. <laughs> and so like she's just reading it all the time. And then like she has him like perform this play. And uh, but before they perform the play, which you were practicing for a long time, before that, like Jeevan gets tired of like just being cooped up. And so he opens the door and takes away the barricade and stuff and, you know, looks around a little bit, but then like comes back. But that's what like creates like the opening then for like some random guy to come in and like demand the place and they say no and they have a struggle and then that guy like kills Frank but then they kill that guy. But that's where like Kirsten gets like the knife, the knife that was used to kill Frank, she takes and she like practices and becomes yes. like an expert with his knife and throwing it and all this stuff. And they show her later on in, the, in in a few episodes later as she's a child practicing with this knife, getting good at throwing this knife as a weapon. And you see where she how she becomes so good at it because, you know, since a child after that, she's she's cultivated that skill <laughs> yeah and and so they like the biggest action scene if you want to like talk about the pure action was like when adult kirsten like is like attacked by the red bandanas and she's like she's like really great with his knife just like throwing again and again and killing all these guys but then some guy that used to be a dentist <laughs> like hits her with a poison dart and that like knocks her out and that creates like this hallucination trippy thing and so that's where like old kirsten like meets young kirsten like in her mind while she's unconscious and that's and so where we like, take, yeah, that's where we take the adventure through her past, where she kind of yeah. is observing her past and what's going on. And we get introduced to the, was it Levin Jeevan? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Jeevan, uh, before the collapse of civilization, he didn't, wouldn't commit to anything. You know, he would just leave all the time, leave relationships and leave projects and stuff. And, and I think this concerns her because she hears this from Frank, Kristen does. And as it's just her, the two of them, uh, Jeevan and Kristen, going out into the world trying to find shelter and food and whatnot and what remains, you know, she has this fear of him leaving. So when he takes off and is attacked and doesn't come back, she's got it in her head that Jeevan is leaving. <laughs> oh, yeah. And and they, he, they kind of do get separated. Like, he, yes. they don't intentionally leave. But, yeah, they they are separated for years. And then, like... They meet each other in their new lives, so to speak, which yes. you know they say rarely ever happens. Uh, which, but, yeah, is a scene that I love because when you because eventually towards the end of the series, and, and if you haven't watched this, oh please turn this off because I'm spoiling the whole thing. Spoilers, <laughs> yeah, spoilers, yeah. spoilers. <laughs> and, and, and you get to the end of the series, they uh, they see each other again. She sees him for the first time in probably twenty years, I'm guessing, and vice versa. It's a beautiful scene. I I love it. it. Just just they have this moment where they walk together as they're leaving the civilization of the museum of civilization. And it's a good ending to see them reunited coming kind of full circle from the beginning seeing where they've gone with their lives and what they've done and what directions they've gone in this post civilization and how they needed each other at the beginning that mutual aid to get through and survive but as time goes you know they grew apart they were separated and, and lived these whole lives on their own. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. And there's some really great quotes, too, in this. Like, one is, like, a, that they say a few times, like, comes from the comic book. I remember damage and escape and adrift for a long, long time in a strange galaxy. But I'm I'm safe now. I found it again. Home. And so, yeah, that kind of shows, like, how, like, they were lost, of course, by the collapse of civilization. But then they find their sense of home for each person. Like, you know, for Kirsten, it's the traveling symphony. And for Jeevan, it's the... Uh, well being a doctor but then also like being married and he has kids and stuff in some beautiful midwest lakeside place eco village <laughs> yeah was that like yeah. a little island or something that I kind of found out there is that what i understood a little uh, separated uh, out there no no I, I, it sounds it looks like it a, a lakeside place okay. like yeah, i've been to places like that in minnesota so yeah <laughs> yeah it's a nice little setup they have uh, one of the things the home and family are two things that come up a lot that we talk about and they kind of look at like well so what is home yeah. What is family? Is it the place you pay a mortgage on? Oh, you know, yeah. Is it? Is it? Well, that's just, all gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it just the 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 people that you're biologically related to? Because the family here seems to be from the get go, from the beginning. You have Jeevan and Kristen running into each other, totally, totally unrelated human beings that did not know each other prior to that. Yeah. And you get a sense that they are, in a sense, family, and you start well, to look Frank at these too. relationships. Yes, and Frank. Yeah, who is the brother of Jeevan? They've made their own, they've kind of had this experience going through this uh, quarantine lockdown and the end of the world together and surviving on each other and, and living together as a little family taking care of one another. And as as you see, these other relationships to the people that are important to them, the family isn't necessarily my biological mother and father and children. It's the people that they've chosen or the people that the life circumstances have put in their way. Yeah, yeah. Well, then there's also yeah, like uh, Tyler and his mother Elizabeth. Yeah, and yes. how, like uh, they were separated when Tyler ran away, and then Tyler eventually created his cult and stuff, and then he came back to Severn City, reunited with his mom, and then at the very end, then Elizabeth, uh, Tyler's mother, goes off and joins him in his undersea cult, which is kind of nice too, because like Tyler is kind of like the father figure and the prophet figure <laughs> for yes. all these orphan children, but so. Tyler's mother, Elizabeth, being there creates like a mother figure for all these kids, too. Yeah, it's interesting. We have the cult that the, the he has created in this form of a religion that is being birthed out of this, this rebuilding of civilization. And then we also see another power structure that leads over from the past and Clark and what he and, and they're just kind of wanting to remain king of the king of the airport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have uh Jeevan's kind of created a more traditional family unit mother father with a bunch of kids that live out there and it looks like they have a little homestead and stuff like that where they're raising their food and living and then we have of course the traveling circus and then the the red bandanas we also have the folks who <laughs> but, live in the the, the well, what do you call it the other actors who who put Mines throughout their fields. So those are oh, kind of the little a, pockets a of civilization. So we have all these pockets of civilization we're looking at, and each one seems to be formed in a slightly different manner and influenced yeah. by a slightly different thing. You have some that are looking forward, and you have the idea of there's no going back, which is a repeated thing, like this whole looking back to the past. And you have the cult yeah. leader saying that the past is over with, essentially, it's gone. Yeah, there is no before. Yeah, there's nothing before. You can't go back and change it. You can't go back and adjust it. You can only work with what we have left now. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, and so, but in a way, I'd say one theme throughout Station Eleven is about collective trauma and how like mm-hmm. people deal with it, and then also to some extent transgenerational trauma too, being passed down from different generations. And that's and, interesting there because we have we have at least three generations that we're looking at in this, right? We have the people who were adults when it collapsed, and they're the children yeah. like Kristen and Tyler. Yeah, the pre-pans, they call it. Yes. Pre-pans the, and post-pans. Pre-pans. <laughs> so there's two generations you have there. And then the post-pans, and like, like, like I I I want to I don't want to say they're zoomers, because I guess the kids the would be the zoom zoomers or even post-zoomers. <laughs> the Kristen and Tyler would probably be whatever comes after generation Z. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but- so you have the next generation after that as well so you have this like layers of generations in there and they do see things differently from the beginning you have the children dealing with the adults and them trying to raise them and then the world that they were raised into which is lacking the civilization that we came up in the technology and all the kinds of institutions and structures that we are used to at this point in time this generation has no uh just whispers of the past yeah and and not only that like then that post-pan generation like they hear about smartphones and the internet and that's almost like hearing like mystical mythical stories about jesus and god in a way like (laughs) when they ask is it true was the internet real (laughs) because they hear the stories and it sounds like magic how could that possibly have existed yeah it's it's interesting uh i i think it's a cool element of flavor it's it's also interesting to see how they like this this relationship with uh with theater and art and arthur at some one of the episodes i think it's actually was episode eight where he talks about making things is important and, and he's not just talking about putting on a play he's just making things is important to people it seems to be as kind of an idea that's getting put in there like we create you know we build homes uh, chairs, things that we care about. We put on plays. We we uh, build a museum, a civilization. That creating something that will last in this world seems to be an important thing to people. And that's kind of where there's a point of contention between Clark and Arthur. And Arthur's busy trying to make that money and be an alpha male thing. And they have this whole conversation where that occurs. Uh, and that's brought out. I like the, I like Arthur's take on People, what people, what what matters is making things. It's an interesting way to look at things, especially in this collapsed civilization where all the things we've made are just scattered about, and the ways that we approach, you know, making things has changed drastically. Yeah, and like he put Arthur puts a lot of pressure on his first wife Miranda, who is the person that does the Station Eleven comic book, uh, and like he wants her to complete the task and to make it finally be done with it. And uh, and she's like, don't rush me, don't rush me. And then it becomes clear, like the reason why she doesn't want it to be rushed is because it's her kind of therapy to deal with the trauma that she experienced as a child, like watching her parents, her whole family get killed by uh, Hurricane Hugo. And, and little did she know that her comic, even though in the, in the show, only five physical copies yeah. were made. She took it to the printer, printed five initial copies out and brought them out. She gave them to the two children. That's how they get a hold of it and start reading it. Little did she know that of those five copies, they would go on to birth a whole new religion. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like scripture. And and the the children, like the the undersea, the name of the kids, like they believe that the real station eleven is going to land on Earth, and that Tyler, by setting this fire at the Severn City Airport, that's the sign that like the end times are coming, and the station is going to land. And sometimes, like he even points to the space station, and he's pointing to the ISS as it goes <laughs> flying by in the sky. And I, I would, I the, there's the one thing that I have a problem believing is that. If you got the whole world, you can explore and go in. You're looking for stuff. I think they would have found other comic books by then. Yeah, what about the store that was abandoned? <laughs> yeah, what about DC and Marvel? Yeah. There's all the DC and Marvel in this, huh? Come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess we already have religions that worship these characters, so we don't need that. Yeah, that's the society we have. That's our entire podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, I, but no, I, I appreciate the, the take on this, and and the the comic itself is like you said, it's her way of working things out. She talks about her loss of her family due to a hurricane and things like that, and what she's lost, and 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 this whole idea of no going to the past is is kind of coming from her loss prior to the pandemic, and to the end of civil collapse of civilization. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Because like, yeah, she made the comic working through like the grief and stuff and trauma that she experienced as a child. And then these actual children that experienced the trauma of the collapse of civilization are reading it and working through their trauma, too. Yeah. And, and that's kind of where this like like the past, you can't go back to it. You, she can't go back to a world where her family's still alive. That's lost. She's lost them. They they can't go back to a world where civilization still exists because most folks aren't around. Everything's over, is collapsed. Yeah. So they parallel in that manner. And where do you go from there? And, and that's the kind of the point here is the future. What's next? Where do we go from here? So when you, she confronts people like Tyler at first with violence, trying to stab him, and then trying to find a better way to resolve this, um, trying to do some more, uh, I'd say, transformative justice type of thing and approach that's more of a restorative justice approach than a criminal type violent attack on somebody uh, is an interesting way to paint the future and how we deal with our conflicts of the future. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that was amazing too. Like in the, the end, when one of the undersea kids shows up and has the bombs, you know, to do another suicide bomb run, how like Kirsten was able to convince her like to not do it, you know, needed like yeah. all these people and stuff. And then like shows her like the comic book. It's like, this is where like the prophecy comes from. And like the kid is like amazed. I'm like, oh my God, it's not just the prophet. It's like, we have a tangible thing here. Yeah. She, so these children have been raised hearing the prophecies of this comic book. They've never seen the comic book, really. They've never read it. They're just secondhand probably, hearing what, what somebody else took out of it and got from it. I imagine there'd be illiterate kids too, because like they teach kids, uh, they have a school at the airport, but like the kids are just kind of running around kind of nomadic. So they yeah. probably don't so know there's how to read. A couple groups of children, there's kids at the airport themselves who are being taught in a, like a school, more of an institution style. And then the kids in the cult there's no schools out there. They're just kind of running wild, it seems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. And it's interesting, like there's two different kinds of groups. Like there's like, like Severn City Airport and Ping Tree that are like stationary based in one location. And then you have like nomadic groups like the Traveling Symphony and the Undersea and the Red Bandanas that cross over to different places. And then you have like like institutions that kind of like service, you know, cooperate with other uh, groups and such, right? Like the... Uh, 
traveling symphony that they go to different towns around Lake Michigan. So they have this kind of interaction relationship. And then likewise, you have the birthing center. They could have gone the route of being a stationary community if all the women that gave birth at the same time stayed there and raised their kids at that location. But instead, they gave birth and then they all left and presumably keeping the place open for other women that are pregnant to come and give birth later. So they have a relationship with like different people all over. I, I like this a lot and I like the direction that it took and I like that it wasn't as because when I was watching it initially I was like oh well, I think we're going to build up to some big showdown between Tyler the prophet and Kristen but it wasn't as much of like a showdown as like oh we're going to get each other and someone's going to win no instead they perform Hamlet <laughs> yeah instead you get a play and, yeah. it, and it's and it's an intense play and, and everything is there uh, the raw emotions of reality are being worked out through this play. And I want to put something out there. One of the reasons, like, I, I love role-playing games. I do a daily role-playing game podcast. And entertainment and things like that are important to us. We are influenced by it. For, people do gravitate towards forms of entertainment. And, and as a form of entertainment, I really respect role-playing games because it's a collaborative effort. People playing together, acting together. And that's one thing I appreciate about what they're doing there and why I like it so much because it's that community type of entertainment where we're creating it together, we're engaged with it, we're not just passively taking it in like I do when I'm watching a film or a TV show, but the art you're a part of. <laughs> Does that make sense? Oh, okay. So in other words, you're saying that after civilization collapse, Wobblies and Wizards is going to be a traveling group of role-playing game people go traveling around <laughs> the Midwest. <laughs> or we could just put on the place. Yeah. Oh, no, but yeah, so what you're saying, like about the Hamlet at the very end, the climax of the whole series. So the, you have Tyler is refusing to speak with his mother, Elizabeth. And so then Kirsten arranged the, then Tyler to play ha the role of Hamlet. And for Elizabeth, Tyler's mom to play Gertrude, who's Hamlet's mom. And so that way they do talk to each other, but in the role of these plays. And then Clark volunteers to be Claudius, who's uh, in Hamlet is Hamlet's uncle, the king. And then the, the king after the previous king, who was Claudius's brother, who's never shown in Hamlet because he's dead. <laughs> and that's that person is basically equivalent to Arthur, who was like the deceased king, as so to speak, of the whole of Station Eleven series. So we're just reflecting that those uh those same I guess, social structures that were there previously, you know, they're kind of oh, reflected yeah. in layers. <laughs> oh, yeah. And not only that, like, since Hamlet was created in 1600, basically the technological developments of society after the collapse of civilization is more or less what it was at in 1600. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> point. That's a good point. Well, we're coming close to our time. I know you got quite a few notes. I want to make sure make sure there's nothing good in there where we don't we we miss <laughs> don't get in here. I guess one thing is uh, yeah, just a line uh, as far as the play and how it was set up at the very end. Clark said, "Damn it, this is civilization, not art therapy." Because <laughs> 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 Arthur had this whole mission to create to maintain civilization and, and maintain, his perspective yeah. of what civilization is. Like we've seen that it's a very uh, a, there's a very defined hierarchical power structure, alphas. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, and then another thing too, like Jeevan's new wife, she, I don't remember, didn't catch her name, the woman that Jeevan married and had kids with, but <laughs> she said, we need new words. For example, who was the last person you met before? Who was the first person you met after? 
And so, yeah, like the whole circumstances of society changing kind of speaks to the need for new language to speak to these concepts that arise and become recurrent things. And I, I'm sure a lot of times, too, a lot of the language and stuff just kind of, I guess the word I'm looking for is naturally evolves out of whatever situation we have here. And being that we've lost the Internet and the, the modern forms of communication, those languages and terminologies will begin to evolve in smaller pockets in different ways similar to how things were prior to, you know, the mass globalization of communication that we have in this day and age. Yeah. <laughs> and then another quote I have was uh, Terry, who ran the birthing center, said to Jeevan that the job is the courage to bear witness to death is the job, the courage to be there. And so that that right there kind of speaks of like kind of the mentality needed to kind of work your way through trauma. It's just to have the courage and to like be witness to it. You might not be able to stop death, but you can like at least be present. And that's like the role that he played when Sarah, who led the traveling symphony, when she died, he was just like there for her, paid attention, you know, held her hand, cared for her. And then she passed. Yeah, yeah I, I appreciate it. It's overall, I strongly suggest Station Eleven. I loved the show. I think that it's one I'm going to revisit in the future. It is layered. There is good stuff in there. It is thought-provoking at the end of the day. As I'm watching this, it brings up questions. It makes me want to see it again. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it didn't move you to tears, though. Um, I didn't get moved to tears. I don't cry at too many movies and shows, though. So there are a few. Now, the, the, the time that you were moved to tears was the death of Frank, correct? Yeah, so the death of Frank. Yeah, so yeah, you named it. I didn't even say it. <laughs> yeah, but then like... Uh... Yeah, you have the older Kirsten talking to the younger Kirsten. And then the older Kirsten says, uh, after Frank dies, this isn't your fault. It's just, this is just what happened. Oh, there was another one there too that I'm going to yeah. point out is the postponing of the play. Yeah. Uh, in both cases, the, the first time it says we we shouldn't have waited. Uh, we, we, we waited for the play. So they were getting ready to leave, but she wanted to wait a few days to do the play. They waited, and that, that last day was when the intruder an intruder comes in and Frank is killed. Now, when we get later on down to the future, and they're at the Museum of Civilization preparing to put on Hamlet, they're being told to wait for the play. And at that point is when Sarah passes is waiting for the play as well. Oh, wow. So there's this, this element there that this reflection of when she was a child... And there's this talk of like, no, we need it. Like, like it's not your fault. We should have done the play. That that was, you know what I'm saying? That there's this element there that's reflecting in throughout the book or the, or the TV series, this concept of waiting. And, and we're going to we're going to stick here. We're going to stick with it. We're going to perform the play. This is important for us as our sanity as a little family or as our sanity as a small community here in the airport. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So it's in like both... Yeah, for the younger Kirsten and the older, yeah, like how plays are like such an intensely symbolic transformative time. See? It's it's good. Wow. It's interesting. Do we have anything else we need to throw in today's episode? Oh, oh, no, no. Yeah, just I would yeah, echo what you said. Yeah, like for anyone that hasn't seen Station Eleven, yeah, watch it. It's on state. It's on uh, HBO Max, and it's amazing. <laughs> and we just ruined everything for you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but like we said, like you can watch it multiple times and like catch like different references that you didn't notice before. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Well, that's about all we have today. Uh, could you tell the folks that are listening where they can find you on the interwebs? Oh, yeah. I'm at parenthesis.blogspot.com for some of my writings. And then I'm in Mastodon at parenthesis.i. 
I'm at uh, I'm here uh, wherever you're listening to this on uh, the daily podcast. I have Wobblies and Wizards. Search Wobblies and Wizards, and you'll find us. Do a daily RPG podcast, wobbliesandwizards.com. I'm on social media at Logar, Hail Crom, and most places from Twitter to TikTok. And everyone has their own rebellion. 